I'm going to turn your attention today to the book of Colossians once again. Colossians chapter 3. Verse number 12, starting at verse number 12, going through verse number 17. And I have entitled this entire series, It's All in Him, as Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, demonstrates, illustrates, and explains that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, Lord over everything, and then practical implications of that in our lives. Colossians 3.12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other With all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I'll preach for just a little bit from this title and this thought, Dressed for the King, Dressed for the King. God bless you. Why don't you shake hands with one more person as you put your Bibles down or your phones down, and and then after that, you may be seated. Come on, shake hands with somebody. Tell them you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord. You may be seated. One of my favorite quotes is this, that it's a Mark Twain quote where he says, clothes make the man. Anybody ever heard that? Clothes make the man. Now, most people have not heard the... uh, the flip side to that, or the, the rest of that quote, which is, clothes make the man, naked people have little or no influence on society. And so most people don't actually quote all of that, but I, I choose to quote all of that whenever I get the opportunity. I, I'm, I like clothes, but I'm not overly into clothes, at least I don't think so. But when you look at people and you look at how they dress, people dress in a variety of different ways. People dress sometimes to fit in with everybody else. You go to an event, you kind of want to know if people are dressing a certain way. You go to a black tie event, which is a tuxedo and the black tie not being an actual tie, but a bow tie. And so it's a, you show up in an event that's a black tie event, you got on a brown suit, it's You stand out a little bit, and it's probably uncomfortable. So most people, they want to fit in in the way in which they dress, but then there are other times and other people that they dress a certain way because they want to stand out. They don't want to look like the crowd. They want to demonstrate their individualism and demonstrate that they are 
marching to the beat of their own drum, that they are uh, unique in the way in which they live their life. I've been to places where I was dressed uh, wrongly for the occasion, and very seldom is it a bad thing to be overly dressed. You show up in a suit and a tie to an event that's casual, you just take off your tie and you take off your coat. But if you show up to an event that's dressy and you're not dressy, then it's like, well, what are you going to do? You're kind of stuck. I went to a uh, conference. It was actually a series of meetings. It wasn't really a conference. informative for North American missionaries, and I misread the email. All I saw in the email was business casual, but that was talking about certain events that were taking place, and I show up, no coats, no ties, jeans, and it was two and a half days of me going, man, I'm just like sticking out like a sore thumb, and everybody else was dressed up and like... But I was like, I'm not going out to spend money, and I just forced myself to not care and be, just ignore the fact that I wasn't dressed like everybody else. And, but, but the way we dress is often a reflection of who we are and what we think and what we believe. The Bible is full of examples where it describes what people are wearing, or in the case of Adam and Eve, what they are not wearing. That prior to the fall, they are wearing nothing. The Bible says they are naked and unashamed, and they're the only two people, and they're not worried about anything that's going on. But then sin enters in when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and immediately they recognize there's something missing, that being naked in this garden is not a good thing. And so they take fig leaves, and they clothe themselves, and try to cover up, and when When God confronts them, he says that the fig leaves are not enough, and so he kills animals and he fashions uh, different clothing for them. The Bible goes into that saying it's important that they had clothes, and the first mention of being clothed and how you are dressed being important. Or the Bible tells us the story of Joseph with his coat of many colors, this coat that causes his brothers to be envious and This coat that reinforces their idea that they already had that Joseph was the favored son of their father. Or John the Baptist coming out of the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey and wearing camel skin. He's not dressed like everybody else in the Bible describing that. And numerous other stories in the Bible that describes the clothing that people In fact, even of Jesus, the Bible would would throw a little bit in there about what he is wearing, that it is a garment without seams. It's different than all of the other garments or the majority of garments that people are wearing. It was something to be valued in the soldiers at the foot of the cross or casting lots and gambling to take Jesus' clothes. But the reality is this, is that This passage that I'm reading, it is an analogy that is illustrating putting on godly attributes. That Paul would put say would use this language of put something on. He's already talked about taking off and putting off the old man. 
Put away all of these negative things. Put away the sin and put away the lust and put away these various works of the flesh. And he has said to put on the new man. But now he, he goes into some detail about what this new man should be and what this new man should look like, how this new man should function. And while he's using this language of putting on, it would be akin to putting on your coat or putting on your tie, putting on your shirt or putting on your shoes, put these things on. But the reality, while he's using that of putting it on, the idea is more of this about being godly and doing godly things, that having godly attributes in our life. Ultimately, what he is saying is this, is that we are to live differently than the world. That whatever the world is doing that is antithetical to the word of God, we are to do something different. And he, he lists out a whole lot of things, and, I, and I'm going to walk through those at the beginning, before I even get into my first point, of the things that we should put on. In fact, I read those earlier, and, and he says to, to do things like put on tender-hearted mercy. Not mercy, that is, I'll, I'll, man, if it's really, really bad, then I'll have mercy. But tender-hearted mercy, which I'll oh, quick to show mercy. Quick to, to forgive, put on some kindness. We live in a world that's not very kind. He says, put on kindness. Put on humility. Pride is antithetical to following Jesus Christ. So it's like, put on some humility. Understanding that, that you are nothing apart from Jesus. Understanding that you can't save yourself. Understanding that... You need Jesus to get to heaven. It's not just a salvation experience and then we're good after that. But no, I need him all the way from here until I get to heaven. I need Jesus put on gentleness. You see people that are not gentle, they're not kind. But Paul says put on gentleness. He says put on patience. Don't leave home without your patience. In fact, don't live at home without your patience. That's where you may need it the most. The Bible would tell us that patience is a virtue. I would tell you I'm an impatient person, impatiently waiting to be patient. <laughs> put it on. Put this. These are attributes that, that God would have Put on forgiveness where we're quick to forgive one another. Put on some love. Clothe yourself, he said in verse 14, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Don't leave home without some love and put on some peace. Let the peace that comes from God, let it rule in your hearts. Get all the peace that you can get and share the word of God and Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord. Praise Him and put on these things. And ultimately what he's saying is this. If you are a child of the king, that you need to dress for the king. That you need to dress in the way in which the king would want you to dress. Now once again, and, and that we could talk about it at another time. I'm not talking about our outward clothes and what we're really wearing. That you have to have a suit to come to church. 
But if you're a child of the king, you should have these things that you're wearing. Humility and patience and kindness and gentleness and tenderhearted mercy and love and forgiveness. Put on all of these things. And, and I could spend, and I thought about as I, how I was going to structure this and lay this out. I didn't really want to focus so much on the what, but I wanted to focus on the why. Why should we put on all of these things? Why should we dress for the king? Why should we walk around with humility and gentleness and kindness and tenderhearted mercy and love? There are six things in this passage that I've identified that explain or answer the why question. The first is this, we should do all of these things because we are chosen and loved by Jesus. And maybe I would say that this is, we could stop right here and just focus on this one thing for the remainder of our time together, but we are chosen and loved by Jesus. Why should I care about having godly attributes and and why should I care about how I position myself and present myself to the world because ultimately we are chosen and loved by Jesus. The NLT which I read, he chose us to be his holy people that he loves. That God is calling us and bringing us to a relationship with Him, and He's calling us and bringing us to know Him. And He loves you and I. Look at your neighbor and tell him God loves you. Everybody can say that. But oftentimes when we think of Love, we think of it in terms of our own understanding of love. And once again, we water down the word love in our, our culture. Probably sometime this week, we're talking about some food and said, man, I love pizza. Anybody love pizza? Anybody love some good buffalo wings? Oh, me and Cesar, I know. <laughs> Me and Victor, we've had some wings together. Let me get my grammar straight. Victor and I have had some wings together. So we use that word love for almost anything without really understanding God loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Or as Paul would write, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. This is a love that's more than I love pizza and more than I love buffalo wings or whatever your favorite food is, this is a love that is sacrificial. This is a love that caused the God of the universe to come in the form of a human and be crucified on the cross. 
And if nothing else, my response to that love should be that I will do anything that you want me to do. Lord, I will be anything that you want me to be because you loved me. Or as John would write in his epistle, we love him because he first loved us. Why does it matter how I live? And why does it matter how I act? Why does it matter what I do? Because Jesus loves us. And Jesus has chosen us. And, and that word chosen, it, and it can mean a lot of different things depending on your theological understanding or context, but understand this, when he says it here and he says it this way, that means we are in his kingdom and we are children of God. We are chosen and loved by Jesus. That we are saved and we are on our way to heaven because of what he has done. Which leads to the second thing, and that is this, that we are forgiven by Jesus. Why should we make allowance for each other's faults, and why should we forgive those who do things to us? Why? Because we are forgiven by Jesus. And when we understand His forgiveness, and we understand what our sin looks like in contrast to His holiness... What other people do to us is so minor in comparison. What problems we run into in this life are so minor in comparison compared to the darkness and the greatness of our sin that we forgive others because we are forgiven by Jesus. And in this first piece of the passage here in in verse 13, It's really speaking of those within the church. That you do something to me, make allowance for your faults. Everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does something. Everybody offends somebody. It's like, it's okay because if Jesus forgave me, I can forgive you. Jesus would tell parables of that, of, of the man who is owed a great sum of money. He can't repay it. He has no hope of repaying it. He goes to the master and he begs for forgiveness. Forgive me of all this debt that I owe you and it's taken away and somebody else comes and they come to him who has been forgiven much and they owe him a little and he said, I'm going to throw you in prison. You're going to have to work this off. I'm not forgiving your debt. The Bible says the master was wroth because he who had been forgiven much didn't forgive. But when we understand the magnitude of what God has done in forgiving us, then it's easy to forgive. Put on forgiveness. Put on love. We are united in Christ. It's the third thing that he has bound us together. He says because we're bound together together. Clothe yourselves with love. Binds us together in perfect harmony. And understand this, and I don't have much time to to delve into it, but understand this, peace is always better than conflict. Forgive, love. Fourthly, why should we put on godly attributes? It is because we have the message of Jesus. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. 
that what you and I know as followers of Jesus should make our natural response to Him to do what it is that He wants, to let it fill us and let us share it with others. Since I was a child, I have discussed at length the Bible. My dad, preacher and pastor, and we would talk about the Bible all the time. And I'd come home from school at times, and he'd ask me a question about the Bible. Questions that had answers, but it wasn't like just trivia. It wasn't just the fact, you know, like who was on the ark. But theological questions about the nature of God and what does it mean to be saved. And I love talking about the Bible. But what I would tell you is this, is that our world should revolve around the kingdom of God. It should revolve around the message of Jesus. Which is why the apostle would say it this way, let it fill your lives. That the message about Jesus and the kingdom of God, it's not just one piece of our lives. If you were to look at a waffle, it would look somewhat like this handkerchief. All these little squares that are divided up. And the, the message of Jesus is not designed to fit in just this little square over here. Jesus is what I do on Sunday. Oh, but Jesus is what I do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And and it's not just what I do on those days. It's not just, oh, it's my time of prayer or it's my time to read the Bible. But every part of every day should revolve around Jesus and revolve around His Word and revolve around His kingdom and revolve around understanding who He is and what He has done in our lives. Teach and counsel each other. What should I do about this? Well, what does the Bible say? How do I deal with this problem? What does the Bible say? How do I fix this relationship? What does the Bible say? How do I get to heaven? What does the Bible say? What does it mean to be saved? It's what does the Bible say? Who is Jesus? Well, what what does the Bible say? That every part of our lives, and what kind of education should I get? Well, what are the principles of the Bible that governs how we live? And what kind of job should I get? Well, the the Bible doesn't say that. Oh, but it gives principles such as seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be taken care of. Oh, I need a better paying job, or I need to go move a here or there, or do this or that. A good friend of mine moved away, and he still has moved away chasing money and chasing a business. No longer goes to church. And I could tell you story after story about people who have done that, and it's not long till they lose out with God because they're not seeking first the kingdom. That the message about Jesus isn't the central thing in their life. It's just a piece of their life. It's like a club I belong to. 
like an activity that I do. The message of Jesus is to fill all of our lives. That's why I'm here in Olathe, because the message of Jesus that compelled me to come, to leave St. Louis and to plant a church, to leave a job that, where I made a lot of money. And I had beaten, I had killed all the dragons and it just wasn't very hard. And I could have made a lot of money and had a big retirement. And this is not to pat me on the back, but when, the, when your life revolves around the king, it's just like, this is what we do. If the king says, go here or go there, then it's not even an option because he's the king. It's not even a question because he's the king. Well, what about the money you're losing? Oh, well, seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll provide my clothes and my shelter. He'll provide everything I need. It's first the kingdom of God. The fifth reason that we should put on godly attributes is because we are thankful for Jesus. Paul would write it this way at the end of verse 16, seeing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. We are of all people most blessed. And I could talk to you about leaving a job where I made a lot of money and they put a lot of money in my retirement. And you'd be like, oh, poor, poor guy. God has blessed me. My house is paid for. I have zero debts in my life. Making less money, but God has provided all of it. And, 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 but it's, but even if I had a lot of debts and had a lot of needs, when you look at what God has done, that I was lost and undone and I was on my way to hell, but he saved me. That nothing he asks is too difficult. That nothing he asks is worth crying about. And in fact, in the, the apostles in the book of Acts, they were beaten and they were persecuted and they rejoiced that they were able to suffer for his name. We haven't had anything close to that here. And there are people around the world that are dying today because of their testimony of Jesus. But we haven't had to do that. Hopefully we never will. But no matter what I give up or what I say, it can't compare to what we're going to get to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter would write, it's, it doesn't even compare. This, this persecution and this difficulty here can't compare with that eternal weight of glory. It's so much greater what we're getting and what God has done that all I can do is sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and be thankful to God from the heart because of what he has done in my life. And that nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is too difficult for me to endure because of what he has done for me. And sixth and lastly, why should we put on godly attributes? It's because we are representatives of Jesus. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. 
that the way in which we live is a reflection of Jesus. Amen. You know, people, I'm not doing hardly anything in my notes, but people often get this backwards. We, we believe in healing, okay? How many of you believe that God is a healer? I've been healed. I've seen people healed. I've prayed for people that were healed. God's a healer. Most of the time, what you will see in the scripture is that faith is a prerequisite for healing. Most of the time, it's a prerequisite of the person who's needing to be healed, but sometimes they don't have any faith and the person to pray for them has enough faith for them. I've seen it. But sometimes I've heard people, and I've been guilty of this, where be in a situation and want to be bold in prayer, speak to the sickness, command it to leave, and then there's that little thing, what if it doesn't happen? Anybody ever been there? What if, what if I just declare God's going to heal you right now? And then, well, he doesn't do it. And we're going, well, we don't want God to have a bad reputation because you didn't get healed. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> and it's really more about, we, we're worried about what people are going to say about our lack of faith. So I've watched people worry about God's reputation in things that only he can do and not worry about his reputation in the way in which they live. They can be rude and crude and mean-spirited and have no thought of their neighbor, much less loving their neighbor, and they hate their enemies. They're not worried about fact that they are representatives of Jesus. If nothing else, I could take the two at the end of this because of what he's done for us and choosing us and loving us and that we are his representatives. Say that seven times. (laughs) And if nothing else, that's enough reason for me to say I don't need to put these things on. Put on kindness and gentleness and patience and tender-hearted mercy. To put on forgiveness and to put on love and to put on godly attributes. We are chosen and loved by Jesus. We are forgiven by Jesus. We are united in Jesus. We have the message of Jesus. We are thankful to Jesus and we are representatives of him. That's a lot of reason for us to put on this new man and to put on the specifics of what Paul has spelled out for us. The one other question that needs to be answered. We know some of the what and we we know some why, but how? If you walked in here today and you weren't 
clothed with tender-hearted mercy. Well, how do I get that? If it was hard for you to forgive, okay, I know I need to forgive, but well, how do I, how do, I do that? How do, how do we dress for the king? It's not enough to know the what, or it's not enough to know the why, but we have to know and the, the Bible, at least in this passage, if I could say it this way, doesn't really spell out the how, but understand that Paul is writing to people who are already saved, which means because they're already saved, they already have the ability to do what it is that he is telling them to do. They just haven't done it. So how do we dress for the king? And I would tell you that it's, as simple and as complex as this. If you're going to have the character and the attributes that God wants you to have in your life, you must spend time with Jesus. There's no other way to do it but spending time with Jesus. You can spend time with Jesus in His Word and reading and studying and letting Him speak to you and you spend time with Jesus in prayer, talking to Him and listening for Him to talk with you. And you spend time like days like today in corporate worship where we worship together and we entertain His presence and we hear His Word preached and we hear the message of His Word. The Bible, our people would say that Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. That if they are going to feel loved, you have to spend time with them. That you don't, they don't know you love them because you say that you love them. They know you love them because you spend time with them. And I would say this is God knows our heart, and so He knows whether we love Him or not, but if we love Him, we will spend time with Him. And if we want to be like Him, we have to be around Him. The older I get, the older my brother gets, he's three years older than me. We were talking about this three weeks ago or so when we were in, visiting with them in Indiana, that more and more he sees things that he'll do something. He's like, man, that's what, our, that's what my dad does. That these characteristics and habits and the way we move, and I saw my face the other day. I don't know if you can tell I've lost a little bit of weight. As I lose weight, I look more like my dad. As I, as I age, I'll be 51 in nine days, I look more like my dad. I caught my profile, like, man, I look like my dad. And my looks don't have anything with the time we spent together, but the actions that I do and the way I respond to things, it's because I spent time with him. I was raised around him, and time and time again, I would see him do things and his mannerisms, and so I do those because I spent time. What I would tell you is that spending time with Jesus is the only way to put on these godly attributes. But let me say this. 
doing these activities doesn't mean that you are with Jesus. I referenced it earlier here, the song service part of what we're doing today, and I've come to church, I've been coming to church since I was born. There was a whole lot of times I came to church and I was in the building, but I wasn't with Jesus. I was on the job or I was on the ball field or I was thinking about lunch. I was thinking about the problems I had before I came. I was thinking about something else and I'm sitting out there, checked off the box. I was there, but I wasn't with Jesus. I can read the Bible and I can listen or listen to the Bible and I can have no recollection of anything I've done because I'm checking off a box. So, so understand that just doing these things doesn't mean that you're really spending time with Jesus. These are the ways in which you do that. But Jesus would say in Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. And that idea of a yoke is this. If you would know anything about yokes, it's two oxen yoked together. They're pulling a load together, and Jesus is really using that metaphor. But what I would tell you is this, it's not that just Jesus is in the yoke pulling the load with us, but that he's right there beside us. And so if we're going to spend time with Jesus, make sure that when you're in his word, you're focusing on Jesus. And when you pray, you're really focusing on Jesus. And when you come to worship, you're really focusing on Jesus, that you are in the yoke with him. And Paul would say it this way, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's about being with Jesus and walking in the spirit. It's the only way to dress for the kingdom. Would you stand together? I, I'm not a biblical novice, so I understand, and I'm, I'm going to probably take this a little bit out of context today. But Jesus tells a story of a marriage feast, and in this story of the marriage feast that's trying to get people to go to the marriage feast, and as he's trying, the, the, the person is trying to get people go to the marriage feast, they come up with all kinds of reasons why they can't do it. They come up with all manner of reasons why I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And the master in the story gets upset and he says, go in the highways and byways and just compel people to come. Invite anybody and everybody. So they do that. They go out and they invite all kinds of people. But the story takes a turn when the master is there at the wedding feast and all these people have on wedding garments. They're dressed for the wedding. He finds a person who doesn't have on the wedding garment. How did you get here? You're not dressed to be here. You're not allowed here. 
And at that point, it wasn't, well, let's get you a wedding garment. It's cast you out because you're not supposed to be here. And I, and I understand that ultimately that, that story that Jesus is telling is ultimately about salvation. But you don't get to go to that marriage supper of the Lamb unless you've been born again of water and spirit. Unless you've experienced the new birth. But I do think it's instructive for us that He does care how we're dressed. Once again, we could talk about our outward appearance another time. But He cares how we treat people. He cares whether we're merciful. He cares whether we're kind. And He cares whether we're gentle. And he cares whether we're forgiving. He cares whether we love. He cares whether we're filled with the Word of God. He cares whether we help people to teach and counsel others with the Word of God. He cares whether we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. He cares about all of that. But it's not an automatic you probably picked up from a variety of messages and teachings is this, is that the reason we have the Bible and the reason we have epistles is because living for Jesus isn't an automatic thing. So he says, put these things on. Why? Because people who are saved don't all have them on. They're not all walking around like this. They're not all dressed for the king. They've had a saving relationship or a salvation experience with the king, but they're not dressed for the king. So he says, put these things on. He doesn't say because you already have these on. You need to put these on. The only way we get that is through spending time with Jesus. I'm going to invite you right now to step out of your seat and come around this front to spend a few minutes with Jesus. And I know we're already past time. Once again, it's not about coming to this building. This building doesn't save anybody. This building doesn't change anybody's life. It's an encounter with Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. And would you ask God right now to be at work in you? Would you ask Him to speak to you? Would you ask Him to come close and to talk with you and to, to lead you and to guide you and to help you to be everything that He wants you to be? Jesus, we love you. God, we want to be everything you've called us to be, Jesus.